Sourcing for Innovation podcast, episode 13. I'm your host, as always, Adam Curtis. Really happy to be joined all the way from Portland, Oregon today via phone. We have Aaron Flynn, the board director of Portland Innovation Quadrant and the associate vice president, strategic partnerships at Portland State University. Good morning, Aaron, or I guess to say just a good afternoon to you. How are you doing? Good afternoon. I'm doing well and happy to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for making the time. Um, today's conversation, we're going to sort of talk about uh, two things. They're related, um, the tech community in Portland and the work that you're starting up with with the Portland Innovation Quadrant, and then also some of the work that you're doing at Portland State University. And really, what is higher education's role in tech, in building a tech community, and in turning out sort of the next generation of tech workers? Um, so let's start with that uh, community aspect of it. Last week, you gave an introduction, as you, uh, as it were, to Portland Innovation Quadrant at TechFest Northwest. For anyone who wasn't able to join us there, can you give us a little bit of an introduction to what Portland Innovation Quadrant or Portland IQ is all about? We did officially launch the Portland Innovation Quadrant at TechFest Northwest last week, and the Portland Innovation Quadrant, otherwise known as the Portland IQ, is both a geography within the central city of Portland. Um, It's a platform for coordination around uh, programming. And it's also a brand uh, for Portland's growing innovation economy. Um, It's a public-private partnership that includes institutions of higher education, corporations, incubators and accelerators, entrepreneurs, Um, and real estate developers and landowners who are all committed to growing Portland's innovation economy, um, attracting talent and investment to grow and retain uh, innovation-related companies here in Portland, Oregon, and also marketing Portland's innovation ecosystem externally um, to the world. Now, why was this necessary? I mean, Portland does have a pretty good reputation in the tech industry. Um, Silicon Forest, as it's sort of known in shorthand. Um, Why this organization? Why now? We have had a tech economy um, and industry in the Portland metropolitan region, um, you know, going back to the 1980s and the Silicon Forest. But that economy historically has been a hardware-based economy um, anchored by Intel and all of the uh, semiconductor and uh, machine tool companies that um, grew up around Intel. Uh, In the last 10 years, what we've seen is a real shift from the suburban office park um, and the hardware uh, tech community to a software community that is anchored in the central city. So we've seen a lot of organic growth in software companies here in Portland, as well as a number of outposts from Silicon Valley who are opening up shop here. And so I describe this as a change in the geography of innovation, uh, really now rooted in our central city. And that has created new opportunities Um, because of the proximity to our universities, which are all anchored here in the urban core. We've also seen the uh, proliferation of, gosh, literally dozens of incubators and accelerators in the urban core in the last five to ten years. So suddenly now you have this dynamism in our central city 
that didn't exist um, just a decade ago, and we want to build on that. And in particular, we want to build connections between our universities and our entrepreneurial community. And this is not something historically that Oregon um, has been focused on. But today, with these changing conditions, we believe that this is an area where we really need to be intentional and strategic. Now, when you're talking about these partnerships, are you talking about a relationship based on research, a relationship based on providing um, you know, uh, new workers for these incubators and these startups and these software companies? Are you talking about tech transfer where maybe you know, Portland State or someone else would actually be the one um, to host the innovator? Here in Baltimore, we have a couple of those with the University of Maryland and Johns Hopkins. So what are we right. talking about in terms of uh, what you see as the vision for that partnership between higher education and the public sector? To some extent, it's all of the above. Over the past decade, again, and I use that sort of as my time frame, one of the things that we've seen happening in higher ed in Oregon is that our universities have become more focused on tech transfer, more interested in their ability to spin out new companies. And that capability has really grown across all of our universities. And now all of our universities have business accelerators that are spawning successful companies. So the ability to grow those companies and attract the CEOs who can take those companies to the next level and the investment that's required to grow those companies is a key, is a key part of this effort. But also the talent pipeline is a really significant part of this effort. So we have almost an insatiable demand here right now, for example, for software developers. And our universities need to be pumping out um, the students and the talent that can meet the demands of these growing technology companies. And of course, it's not just um, in, in the tech disciplines or the STEM disciplines. All of these companies also need you know, sales and marketing and financial uh, experts as well. Sure. So aligning our curriculum and our talent pipeline with the needs of these growing companies is, is the other side of the equation. So I'd say it's really, it's really both. But on the commercialization and tech transfer side, one of the really remarkable um, changes in our landscape is that Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, has made tremendous gifts to our universities, including Oregon Health and Sciences University and University of Oregon, totaling a um, billion dollars for scientific acceleration. And we believe this will change the landscape of Oregon and Portland um, in the decades to come. And we need to be prepared for the kind of innovation um, and intellectual property that is going to be coming out of these universities as a result of these investments. And we just don't have the mature ecosystem uh, in place. And so we want to be anticipatory and be able to really benefit economically from from these engines, from these university engines. And that's, that's, again, relatively new for a city like Portland. You know, that kind of dynamic obviously has been in play in communities like Boston and Silicon Valley and San Diego and Austin for many years. But it's a, it's a game that we're um, just getting started at here in Portland. What also sounds like somewhat of a fundamental shift in 
what a lot of people think the role of a college or university is. At least the traditional mindset is that first the goal is to you know educate students. Second would be to create research for almost research's sake. This is giving us sort of a, a, a next level up where you are um, being an active business participant on top of the educational you know structure of that traditional university. So how is Portland State? How is you know Oregon? How are the other partners in this ecosystem um, progressing on that path as they also sort of change the way they think about um, the role that they should or need to provide uh, in the greater community? I think that's a really important question, and it's certainly not exclusive to Oregon. I think this is an issue that higher education is grappling with across the country. We're shifting, um, I think, toward a vision and a model where we see higher ed, um, the boundaries between higher ed and the economy blurring in a way that they that they really haven't before, and that research for research's sake um, will always be valuable, and you need fundamental R&D and breakthrough research. But I think among our students and in the community, there's really a huge appetite for the capabilities of the university to deliver on the economic and social goals of the community. And so how you do that, how you bring the assets of the university to the community, how you engage um, is becoming a really growing focus of many institutions of higher education. We need to be relevant and our students want applied skills and applied learning experiences and there's a growing sense that universities are slow to respond to the market Um, and so we have to be I think more market oriented, um, more led by our students and what they're interested in. And this is hard for universities because universities, especially large public universities, are, you know, big lumbering bureaucracies, quite (laughs) frankly. And so often um, they have offices like mine that are kind of, you know, that interface, that cutting edge of engaging with the community and trying to figure out how we really deliver value in ways that are meaningful to our students, our stakeholders, and the business community. Given the built environment of Portland, as you mentioned, the situation of the universities in the downtown area, there seems to be an advantage for you to um, progress on this path because you are literally in the community. You're not this, you know, sort of shining light on the hill. You're not behind, you know, uh, ivy-walled gates. You're not sort of removed and in your own little, you know, college town, like let's say um, Texas A&M, which really takes over, you know, all of College Station. But you're there. You're blocks away. You have the transportation infrastructure where people can have internships after class and still make it back then for their, you know, sports practice later that night. Is that really been seen as an advantage, and have you been able to take advantage of that proximity? I believe it's a huge advantage. Portland State University is what is referred to as an urban-serving university. We are smack uh, in downtown Portland. We're on the southern end of downtown. We are serviced by light rail, by streetcar, by bike and pedestrian um, pathways. 
we are a, a hustling, bustling um, urban urban center, and we are a stone's throw from you know the major corporations, the civic offices, and nonprofits um, in downtown Portland. So it does give us a huge advantage in terms of this model that I'm describing, where the university partners with the community to accomplish um, economic and social goals. So we are. We have taken advantage of that. We have um, historically been a very, very engaged uh, university characterized by um, early on our senior capstone, which is a requirement that every student that graduates has to do a partnership with a community partner um, in order to earn their degree. But more and more, this is becoming sort of an economic imperative. And again, we see many of our students seeking internships. We're now making cooperative education a priority at Portland State. Uh, the goal is that students would actually graduate with a full year of relevant work experience in their chosen field uh, prior to graduation which gives them a real leg up uh, in the marketplace and in hiring. We already have um, a really robust co-op program um, in computer science where students are able to work half time in software or software enabled companies that are within walking distance or a short um, bus or light rail ride away from school so that they can literally combine school and work um, over the course of 18 to 24 months. And I do believe it's a huge advantage relative to universities that are located in rural areas where students simply don't have these kind of opportunities. I think your quote, and if I got this slightly wrong, please correct me, was that proximity enables innovation. Explain to me what that means and really why you think that that's true. I think it's true for a number of reasons. People, um, one, you know, even though we're in this age of uh, social media and everybody doing everything via computer, people still really like to work together and people like to make connections. It's easier to make connections with people when you're not located, uh, you know, off in a suburban office park. What's happening in Portland is that we're creating really a lot of co-working spaces where people from different disciplines can come together and benefit from each other's knowledge. And if you look at what's happening in industry today, industry lines are really blurring. If you take, um, let's take wearable technology, okay. for example, which is an area where I think Portland has real opportunities, you need um, life scientists, you need product designers, you need software engineers, you need people coming from different disciplines together to figure these things out. And part of what we're trying to do in the innovation quadrant is create the spaces and the places and the programming where people from different disciplines can come together and ideate and iterate and, and figure out what the next generation of products are going to look like. Now, in tech, there's also been this sort of thought process of, uh, I'd say, healthy paranoia where you don't want to share too much information. Have you got any pushback on that, that we want to create this collaborative environment, we want people out there sharing ideas, 
but then we don't want to share all of our ideas. How do you overcome that and sort of convince people that, hey, a rising tide floats all boats in this situation? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, where we hear that the most is with the big companies who are very proprietary um, and don't, you know, don't want their trade secrets out in the, in the public domain. But what we also see is that a lot of the larger companies, the large established companies, are actually creating, you know, skunk works or innovation arms of their companies that do want to be um, in close proximity to makers and entrepreneurs and creators. And so, you know, you know, Intel has some of their cloud computing experts located at Oregon Health Sciences University, for example, and Adidas has some of their innovation folks, you know, co-located with product design firms in our central east side. So I think that that's happening more and more. There's also, you know, there's also a trend, I think, toward open source. Um, so, for example, Autodesk is moving into the innovation quadrant, and they are creating an open source laboratory where um, product designers or product developers and software designers can work together um, in an open source fashion so that they can better understand who their users are, what their needs are. So I think it, I think it actually goes both ways. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the principles um, for Portland IQ, the leveraging innovation for all. And a lot of the other ones deal with this sort of idea of inclusivity as well, um, you know, accessibility to all, to grow the STEM pipeline, inclusive growth. You know, why did you feel the need to sort of spell these out so specifically, um, especially with most of them being around this idea of expanding opportunities in tech? Well, it's a fundamental principle for the founders and stakeholders of the IQ. We know that what's happening in Portland is we're importing a lot of our talent, a lot of our tech talent um, from the Bay Area. A lot of that talent, let's face it, it's white, it's male. Um, there's a real disproportionate um, demographic driving technology in our country. We see changing demographics in our region, uh, rapidly changing demographics, and we want to make sure that students coming out of our public schools and the students attending the access institutions of Portland Public Schools, Portland Community College, and Portland State University are able to participate in the growing innovation economy, um, not only because you want more voices at the table and more perspectives when you're designing products, but also because these are some of the highest paying jobs that are being created in our economy. We, we want to make sure that our own uh, Portland residents have clear pathways into STEM fields and the innovation economy. And that's why we've called this out really purposefully, because we're also seeing, as many metropolitan regions are, we're seeing growing disparity um, in our population. Sure. And if we can't address that, you know, we're, we're, we're going to become more a world of haves and have-nots, and that's just not a value at all that Portland um, supports. And, you know, we look at what's happened in places like Silicon Valley, and, and, and nobody wants that to happen in Portland. Now, getting out in front of this is obviously the first step. A lot of the 
I think questions around there then would be, you know, who leads this? Is this something that needs to be government mandated? Is this something that can be self-regulated with industry? Is this something that at the collegiate level, you know, you can really sort of press uh, in terms of academic studies and to do some research to show what are best practices for increasing inclusion, um, decreasing, you know, economic disparity? Um, where do you see it on the spectrum? Who is who is currently leading this in Portland and who do you think should be leading this conversation in Portland? This conversation is happening in a lot of different places in Portland, which is both really great and also makes it really challenging sure. <laughs> because it's it's a fragmented uh, conversation. One of our goals within the innovation quadrant is to bring the key players together, which we have, I believe, the key providers, the key institutions, um, and really demonstrate how you do this well in a couple of technology fields. So, you know, we may pick um, computer science, product design, and, you know, life science. We, we haven't decided. But we want to demonstrate how you connect all the way from the uh, K through 12 programs uh, through to, to higher ed programs. And there are a number of existing programs that support uh, first-generation students and low-income students in STEM careers, but I don't think they've scaled successfully. Um, we also struggle with retention and graduation rates, so we need a more concerted effort um, to make this happen. Now, this might seem a little bit odd, too, given that I'm talking with someone here in a higher educational role, but is the Portland IQ also thinking about ways in which to bring um, people into the tech fold to whom college might not be the best path in terms of either a coding school or other sort of soft, uh, self-taught methods in order to increase inclusivity that way? Yes. There's a lot of that going on in Portland. Um, there are a lot of coding schools, and we know that employers are starting to shift um, to a competency-based model of hiring. Um, I don't know how widespread that is. I think generally employers still want to see um, credentials and degrees. But, you know, it is changing. The model of hiring is changing, um, and the way people are training themselves is changing. So there is, um, there is support for, for that movement, but I would say because the IQ has been driven in large part by educational institutions up to this point. There will be a continued focus on, um, you know, traditional means of acquiring education and skill. That said, you know, higher ed is changing really quickly. And, you know, we are looking at different models, um, flexible degrees, stacked credentials, certificates, ways that people can come back to school and quickly gain new skills, um, combining work and skill. We need to get a lot more uh, flexible and, again, as I said earlier, responsive to the needs of our students. Now, snap your fingers, perfect world, five years from <laughs> now, how will Portland IQ have transformed the city? We will see, hopefully, um, 
a central east side, which is our city's industrial sanctuary that is um, more densely populated with um, technology, life science, and product design companies that are employing a more diverse workforce. Um, we will see more connectivity between our university researchers and these companies. We will have created large companies that are employing uh, hundreds of people, uh, potentially thousands of people. That has not happened yet in Portland. You know, we haven't had a single breakout company like we've seen in a lot of other uh, metropolitan regions. Um, and ideally, we will have our um, housing costs under control because that's, you know, the downside of growth is that um, people come and prices rise and cities gentrify and people get pushed out. And one of the things that we really seek to accomplish within the IQ we want growth, but we also want um, the ability for creative people and creative firms to still be able to afford to be in the innovation quadrant. Sure. So not only access and equity are uh, shared goals of the IQ in terms of people and their ability to seek employment in the IQ, but we also are working on, you know, what we would call affordable industrial space. So, you know, industrial space gentrifies just like housing does or commercial space gentrifies in the same way. Right. Um, so we want to maintain that mix. We want to grow large companies, but we also want to be able to, to maintain a mix of small companies, startups, creative uh, firms, and maker spaces. And this, it's ambitious. It's... Um, idealistic, but we have the right people around the table, and we're really committed to this. So we're going to see what we can do. If anyone wants to learn more about Portland IQ, or maybe even figure out how they can get involved with it, uh, do you have some information uh, where we can send them? Um, they can go to our website, portlandiq.org. As I said, we just launched on Friday. We are in our own startup mode, um, but we are open for business, and would be delighted to talk to anybody who's interested in getting involved. Aaron Flynn, Board Director for Portland Innovation Quadrant and Associate Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at Portland State University. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Adam. I enjoyed it as well.